Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, yesterday was, was the big day at our house. Uh, uh, we, you, know, you get busy at the holiday season, and you get looking at stuff, and, and we've kind of been hustling up to this point, and then we looked at both the weather and the calendar, and we realized if we were ever gonna put Christmas lights on the house, it was now or never. Anybody relate? And I was like, you know, I don't wanna be the neighborhood Scrooge, so I guess it's now. This is it, so we, you know, you go out there, we put 46 layers of clothes on, right? It was cold, and you go outside, and you're moving stuff around in the garage, and getting stuff out and hanging the lights and putting stuff in the yard and doing the whole thing. And we were out there and, and I, you know, I got to get in the holiday spirit. So I took my phone and I, and I put on a little playlist of just random Christmas music and stuck it in the, the pocket of my jacket. I had my gloves on, you know, I'm all bundled up and I got that in there. And the song started playing and it's cool because you got the Christmas songs going. And every so often when you do this random playlist like that, you know there's going to be the song that you don't know why anyone likes. Do you know what I mean? But you're busy, you got your arms full, you got this, I don't wanna take my gloves off, it's cold, I get frostbite, you know, so just, you let it go. And then, and then it happened. Like that one song, you're like, are you kidding me? And you get that, and, and you know, cause like, and those stupid chipmunks start singing. Do you know the song? Do you know the one I mean? Christmas, Christmas time is here. You know what we do with chipmunks at our house? <laughs> it's just they don't sing. So the thing is, like, oh, come on. Not this song. I can't do anything about it. And two things happen, and I'm kind of ashamed to admit it. One, I kind of, the child inside of me started to like it. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, guess not that bad of a song. And then the devil stuck it in my head for the rest of the day. And I know it was the devil. I know it was the devil, right? Anybody else that song? But I got thinking about this because isn't that so much of what Christmas is about? It's this whole idea of hurry Christmas, we can't wait, make it fast, we're counting down the days. Like we've always had things in our house that whether it's an advent calendar type thing or just these little things that we we have in different places that say how many days till Christmas and you change the number every day. Why? Because you're waiting and you're looking and you're longing for the big day to come. That's kind of just the whole idea in so many ways, especially for a child, behind Christmas. The waiting and the excitement for the big day to come. Today I want to look at a a scripture, it's a story in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me today to Luke chapter 1. And it's not always the one that we look at as one of the Christmas stories, but I, I, I tend to think that the story that we read here will help us to understand what Christmas is about, maybe as much or more than any other passage that we read in the Nativity stories in the Gospels. And the idea here is about a couple who were waiting They were waiting, whether they realized it or not, they were waiting for Christmas. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. And and we talked a little bit just last week about Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary's. And and if you read on through chapter one, you'll find the time when Mary and Elizabeth come together when they're both unexpectedly expecting babies. And these babies that, that truthfully will change the course of humanity and history. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Luke chapter one, beginning with verse five. Here's the introduction that we get to Zechariah and Elizabeth. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them, listen to this, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's a pretty good headline, isn't it? These are are special people. They come from the priestly line, both of them, which means they're they're part of God's... um, chosen class to care 
for his people and for spiritual things. And they lived up to their names. They lived their lives, they kept God's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's a pretty good thing, but watch what we read next. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. How old were they? They were very old. That's quite a description. What you see in that passage, if you just get down to the heart of it, is that these people were waiting. As good Jewish people, they were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for someone to come and really to set them free. Someone who would come and deliver them. This was the hope of the Jewish nation, both nationally and spiritually, that someone would come and who would deliver them. But they weren't just waiting like a good Jewish person would for a Messiah. These two had been waiting for a child. In particular, they would have loved to have had a son who would carry on their family name, who would care for them in their elderly years, someone who would be their own, their namesake, their child. And they waited and they waited and they waited, and then the emotion in what you see happen next. I won't read you the whole story, but what happens is when Zechariah is in the temple performing his priestly duty, an angel appears to him and says to him, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. Now this would have surprised him because I don't know if you know this or not, but they were old. Do you know how old they were? They were, yes, they were, that's right. So old that they were shocked that God would give to them a child. And he gives to them this child, and I'd encourage you, read the rest of, of Luke chapter one, a fascinating story of how he's born, of how he is named, of the promise that's there for this child, and what we find in this child is that everything that they'd been waiting for, the things that were promised, they could now see coming to fruition right there in front of them. They named this child John. We, we later know that he got the nickname the Baptist. Have you heard of John the Baptist? And there's this powerful story about how everything they'd been waiting for personally, nationally, spiritually, eternally was all wrapped up in this one thing. Why look at this, Luke chapter one, verse 76. Zechariah, who, who's the priest, now goes from priest to prophet. We'll read about this in a moment, but he, be, he, he he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to prophesy. And as he looks at his young son, he says this, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. They have found what they were waiting for. This Christmas, what are you waiting for? What, what is it that you're hoping for? More than just maybe a few days off work, more than just maybe waiting for those Christmas cookies. <laughs> Our neighbors brought over a little tin of Christmas cookies yesterday. I love those people. <laughs> so good. Maybe more than the family time, maybe more than the gifts or the music or the specials on TV, maybe you're waiting for something deeper this year, for hope, for peace, for joy, for provision, for answers. Maybe this Christmas you just wanna feel a little love. What we'll read in these next few moments may be as clear as anywhere else in scripture is a description of what Christmas is all about, of what since the beginning of time people have been waiting for. 
What we're going to do is we're going to read through Zechariah's prophecy, what he said when he saw his young son, and it's going to show to us five things Christmas is, because as we read through this, what you actually see is Zechariah is talking more about Jesus than he is about his son John, because his son was called to prepare the way. So today we're going to look at five things Christmas is. We're just going to walk through Zechariah's prophecy as we do. It'll help us to see some things, and so let's jump right in. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 67, says this. Speaking of the child, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. In this verse, and this is the first thing we see about Christmas, number one, that Christmas is God coming to us. Christmas is God coming to us. Now this, this is this interesting truth and something that we see actually all throughout scripture, that God himself would come to us, that he would make himself known to us. This is a truth that is incredibly powerful for us to grasp. I mean, for, for, for those of us that are here today, there was something to be said when we looked out the window today and said to ourselves, do I or do I not go to church? Because you had to make a decision. Am I gonna go out there in this stuff, which is beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. We live in Ohio. We know it's coming. And yet there's still that moment where you go, do I? Do I really want to do this? Imagine Jesus peeking out of the windows of heaven, looking down at us and saying, do I? Do I really want to go there? Isn't there another way? Do I have to do this? And yet he did. Matthew chapter one, verse 22. Speaking of the the message that the angel gave to Joseph. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who he came to be, Emmanuel, God with us. The whole idea of Christmas is that God was coming to us. This is pretty fascinating, and we'll look at this as we see this, but this is the whole point of scripture. You'll see this over and over again. It echoes through the Old Testament. It comes to realization in the New Testament that the whole idea is that God himself would come to us. Now, this is important for us to recognize, and we talked about this last week, how our emotions, especially the ones that are burdens to us, can be magnified. That lack, that loss, that loneliness, those limits, all that is magnified at the holidays. And one of the things that happens to so many of us is in this time, we begin to wrestle with the the fact that maybe we're not good enough. That maybe, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Other people seem to be more put together. They seem to have more going on. They seem to be more whatever than I am. And we sometimes wrestle with the fact, am I really good enough? Maybe one of the most familiar passages in scripture helps us to answer that question. John chapter three, verse 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Grasp this, this simple message. God sent his son because of his love for us. God sent his son because of his love for us. Not for any other reason, but that you have value to him. You matter to him so much so that he sent his son for you. Which is kind of big, especially for those of us that may wonder, will people really be there for me? Because in this time, we wonder, will people keep their promises? Do people really care? Some of us may wrestle with disappointment, maybe even abandonment in this time. 
And my encouragement to you is this, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Last word Jesus says to his disciples in the gospel of Matthew, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not only did God send his son because he loves us, but Jesus has promised to always be with us. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what kind of transition has been going on in your life. I don't know what kind of disappointment you're up against. I don't know what challenge or what incredible opportunity is there. I just want you to recognize this. Christmas is such a poignant reminder of this, that God has sent his son to be with us because he loves us. I don't know about you, but every Christmas, I become a bigger fan, it seems like, of online shopping. Anywhere else? If I don't have to go out with all those nasty, uh, with other people, then I will, I'll, I'll click and ship. Man, I'd rather do that. And there's something, I don't know what it is, about when I pull in the driveway and I look up on the porch and there's a package there. I get tickled. Ooh, I bet it's for me. What's on your porch, Chad? Ooh, I bet it's for me. Somebody rings the doorbell, you open the door. And it's either your, your neighbor with Christmas cookies, bless God, or it's that guy with the package that says, hey, here's your, here's your package. Man, I don't know, does anybody else just get excited when something comes for you? And it's just like, that's for me. There's this powerful thing. I love it. And when it comes in two days with no shipping, I know God's behind it, amen? <laughs> Think about that in the reality of scripture that Jesus came for you. God has, he's delivered your deliverer. He's brought him right for you. It's this powerful truth. Christmas is not just about a cute little baby. It is about God himself coming to you, which then leads us to the next thing that Zechariah says. Look at this, Luke chapter one, verse 69. It says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abraham. All of those scriptures, and we'll, we'll actually look at some of that again next week, all of those scriptures are tied up in this idea that God made promises in the Old Testament and he's, and he's fulfilling those promises and sending Jesus in the New Testament, which shows us the second thing that we know about God here. Number two, Christmas is God keeping his promises. Christmas is this reminder that God keeps his promises. What kind of promises, Chad? Well, God promised to send a Messiah. God promised to send a Messiah. See, when you read through the Bible, if you just start at the very beginning at Genesis, you find out this, that God created everything. And then before we get out of the third chapter, man messed it all up, right? Sin comes in, separates man from God, and what happens is, as you read through this book, the rest of this book, the whole point, is how God goes to great lengths to restore that relationship between man and God to bring healing and salvation and to restore what was lost when sin came into the world. And he does it all in this way. As you read through the Old Testament, you hear this message over and over again. If you look close enough, it's on every page of every chapter of every book. Someone is coming. Someone is coming who's gonna change everything. The Jews knew this person as a savior, as a deliverer. The title is the Messiah. And you see it when you read in those first chapters of Genesis and God promises that someone will come and crush the serpent's head. 
You see it pictured in the Exodus when God brings deliverance to his people. You read about it in all the covenants that are made from Noah to Abraham to David, these covenants where God says, I will send someone to deliver you. You see it in the longings of the prophets and you hear it in the voices of the New Testament because at that time in the first century when Jesus was born, Israel was under Roman oppression. They weren't free. They were being ruled by the kingdom of Rome which cost them which meant they didn't have their freedoms. And for many of them, it meant they had very little hope. And in the midst of this, they were looking for and longing for a Messiah. God promised that he would send someone. He promised that he would send a Messiah. And he held true to his promises. We saw this several weeks ago in, in 1 Peter when we were reading this. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Peter writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. I love this last line. Even angels long to look into these things. All those promises in the Old Testament, Peter said, those prophets were looking forward. They were trying to figure it out because the spirit of Christ in them was pointing them to Christmas, was pointing them to Jesus. And this is also fascinating. He says that even the angels are trying to figure it out. They long to look into these things, to experience them, to understand them. All of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus and the promises in his scripture we can hold on to. When you're going through a tough time, when God speaks a word of hope to your life, when you're reading his word and something by his spirit seems to jump off the page and encourage you, you know that that's true because he sent his son. How do we know? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Tell me if there's anything familiar here. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. See, in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. You ever heard that? More than just a cute song. You're singing scripture. What, what, what Paul's saying there is, in Jesus, if you have any questions about any of God's promises, in Jesus, the answer's yes. He's fulfilled them. And the congregation, the church says, amen, we believe and we trust, I will rest in his faithfulness. Faithful you are, faithful forever you will be. All his promises are yes and amen. Now we, we could unpack this some more, but um, we're doing a Wednesday night Bible study where we're looking at, at last week, this week, and next week at some, some facets of the, of the Christmas story. And I'm privileged to be able to, to, to share this Wednesday night, and we'll be teaching about this idea of the promises in the Old Testament and how they're revealed in the New Testament through Jesus Christ, especially in the Christmas story. So we're gonna dig into that a little bit more on Wednesday night, but this helps us to see that God is a God who keeps his promises, that you can hold on to those things. In fact, let, let's go back to the analogy of, of a package. I remember in the ancient days when I would order anything by mail or in any kind of way, you would just have to wait and hope for that package, right? You check the mail, you go out on the porch. You don't have to wait and hope anymore. You know what you do now? Track it. That's right. Pull out your device, find it. In fact, even to the point that you can set it up so that the minute it gets delivered to your door, you get a notification. It's really cool. 
kind of takes the fun out of it a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, there's something about the waiting, and there's a difficulty in the waiting, sometimes holding on to the promise. Is it going to come? Is it gonna make it on time? Am I gonna get what I hoped for? Look, understand this, that for the Jewish people, the Old Testament scriptures were how they were tracking this thing. It was the promise that God was going to bring deliverance, that he was going to be true to his word, that he was gonna do what he promised. And some of you are having a hard time holding on to promises in your life because you're not so sure that the deliverer is really gonna deliver it for you. And I'm encouraging you, you can hold on to his promises even when your porch is empty and trust that he's gonna follow through. Luke chapter one, verse 74. Let's watch what Zechariah says next. He says that the Messiah has come to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Number three, third thing we see about Christmas, Christmas is God rescuing us. Christmas is God rescuing us. Isn't there some interesting language there? I mean, we already read about how he saves us from our enemies, from those who hate us, which is really interesting. God saves us from our enemies. Now, many of us don't have enemies in the way that that David did or that the people of Israel did when they were um, being attacked, people trying to take their land. But I suppose for many of us, we do have people in our lives who really don't have our best interests in mind. You know what I mean? People who might be kind of harsh or feel weird to call them enemies, but the truth is they really don't care about us. And what do we do when we come up against those relationships and those situations? Because God has said that he will rescue us. And for some of us, we may actually be facing a place where we're up against a human enemy of some kind. How do we respond? You know, the truth is, if someone is and I don't mean this to sound paranoid or anything, but if somebody is, is in some way trying to affect you in a way that doesn't have your best interest in mind, then there's things you gotta do. You gotta be wise, you gotta use wisdom, you might have to notify someone, an authority, or, or someone in process, you, you might have to take the right precautions, like you do the things you need to do, but then you find yourself in a place where you have to choose, how am I gonna respond? About six years ago, I became aware that there was someone who was telling things about me that just weren't true. And it's not because I was delusional or anything, like you're tracking it down. It's like they were saying things about me, saying things about the church that just weren't true. And they very clearly had bad interests towards me. And when I found out, let's just say my immediate response was, was not very holy. How's that? Is that good? I wanted to lay hands on them suddenly in the name of the Lord. It's my response. Because someone was very clearly acting in a way of enmity towards me. And I remember just being so, just downright angry and frustrated. And I, I literally, I, I was right outside the back doors of this building. It's kind of right outside the atrium back doors. And I said, God, what am I supposed to do? Because I've tried to tell the truth and I've, and I've tried to do the things that are right, and now we find ourselves in this spot. The Lord brought me to this scripture, Psalm 37 verse five, says commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. I felt the Lord said, don't fight, because I'm faithful. And so we waited, and God brought, without going into detail, vindication in a way that I never could have imagined. He worked miraculously on my behalf, because sometimes I have to remember, I have a God who came to deliver me from my enemies, and I will do everything that is right, and I will do everything that is wise, and then I will trust him. Because he came to deliver me from my enemies. And do you know who your worst enemy is? First Peter chapter five, verse eight. We've looked at this, in fact, we're gonna go back to this verse in January. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ultimately, the enemy that God came to save us from was the devil and sin. But I can tell you that most of the time, the challenges that happen in my life, I think if you trace them back, most of the time, it's on me. Anybody else? God not only came to save us from our enemies, but God is rescuing us from ourselves. See, my biggest challenges are usually me. It says in this passage that he's called us to serve him without fear, that that fear oftentimes, my fear, gets in the way of me being obedient. It says he's called us to serve him in righteousness, which means that everything's right between me and God. I can't do that on my own. See, it's usually my weakness or my emotions or my limits or my anger or my prejudice or my willingness to give in to temptation that somehow derails God's best for my life. But that's not what God wants. Look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here's the good news, and you see this in Christmas. Christmas is God reminding us that he came to rescue us. You, you may be familiar with the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In World War II, he was imprisoned by Hitler for, uh, for his activity and for his faith And he wrote to his fiance while he was in prison before he was martyred. And he wrote this, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. See what he says there? Christmas is a great reminder that we can't rescue ourselves. Which leads us to the fourth thing. Luke chapter one, verse 76. Zechariah says, as he he looks at little John, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Number four, Christmas is God bringing salvation. Christmas is God bringing salvation. Look, look, I know that's overly simple. Like, we, we know that. But understand this. There's a powerful line there. Zechariah prophesies that John will be the one who will, and listen to this line, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. See, what people need to know, what some of us need to know, is that salvation is available, 
Now, now we know this and we believe this, but we need to grab hold of this, that salvation is available. Rhonda and I were just, were just talking this week about someone that, that, that we, we've known who lived most of his life believing that he had been too bad for God to show him any good. He lived most of his life thinking that he had done so much evil, bad decisions, sinful acts, that there was no way that God's grace could come to him. When the reality of this scripture is this, that no matter who you are, that God has made his salvation available to us. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, isn't that a cool word? Everyone to come to repentance. Not only is salvation available, but understand this, friends, sin can be forgiven. This is the whole idea. Where does salvation come? It says that salvation comes through the forgiveness of sins, that God has a way to bring forgiveness to you from those burdens, from those sins, from that shame, from the guilt, from those decisions that haunt you in your mind. Listen to this, 1 John chapter 2, verse two. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, except that one guy in Toledo who did something really bad. It's not there, is it? For the whole world. Christmas is a reminder that God came to bring us salvation. I I can think of twice in my life, and maybe it's ironic that, that this analogy came to my mind today, but I can think of twice in my life where I just got stuck in the snow. I'm driving and you're just in so deep, you're not sure what you're gonna do. Once was on this country road and when we were living in Wisconsin and, uh, and it was trying to back out in the dark and I found myself just stuck so deep that I wasn't going anywhere. I was even driving a Chevy Astro van and if you're familiar with those, those were built for handling in the snow, right? Not at all. Not at all. And then about 12 years ago, um, I got stuck backing out of my driveway. We lived in South Toledo, same Astro van. So glad that thing has gone on to a better place. Don't care where, it's gone. And, uh, and got stuck again. Both those times, so frustrated, so distraught, because no matter what I did, I was literally spinning my wheels. Both times, I found out I'm married to a very gracious, forgiving woman. First time we were in Wisconsin, just kind of out of nowhere, this dude pulls up in a pickup truck and he just happened to have some chains and he, he pulled me out. He did for me what I never could have done for myself. When we lived in South Toledo, the, the guy that came out, my neighbor, I think he came out wondering why I was sitting in the driveway crying. <laughs> Provided some muscle that I couldn't do on my own. And two of us were able to push that thing out of there. Here's the picture. I was so stuck that I never could have gotten out of that situation by myself. That's sin. Sin is that burden that you can't carry. It's that mountain you can't climb. It's that stain you can't get rid of. It's that drift you're never gonna get out of on your own. You need someone to do it for you. Do you know who that someone is? Zechariah did. He says, look, the Messiah is coming and he is going to show you how you can have salvation through the forgiveness of sins. 
And some of you, that's, that's huge today. In fact, maybe even to the point that you're questioning, can that even be for real? And God can do that. How? Luke chapter one, verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, listen to this language, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Number five, Christmas is God shining light in darkness. What a beautiful picture. Christmas is God shining his light, that rising sun. If you read throughout scripture, it's interesting to note all the times that light is used as an analogy. We've already read previously how dawn is used as an analogy, how God is shining his light in our lives, and he does it through Jesus Christ. In fact, watch this. Isaiah chapter 60, verse one, says this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. You see, light brings hope. No matter how dark the night is, it's good for us to know that the sun is gonna shine and you see those brilliant colors and you see the sun come up and the light illuminates what we couldn't see before and what Zechariah is saying here is God has sent his son so that his light will shine in your life and give you hope. What some of you need today because you're looking for it every other place is to find hope and it can only be found in him. And maybe you don't need hope in your whole life. Maybe it's just in this situation. Where you say, God, I just need to shine a little light right here on this relationship, on this part of my job, on this thinking in my mind. God, I need your hope. Look what he goes on to say, too. Uh, Malachi chapter four, verse two. But for you who fear my name, God says, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Light not only brings hope, but light brings healing. Think about this. You, you ever been cold? <laughs> and then the sun shines on you? And it's like those those rays of light, kind of like wings spread out over you, and that heat and that warmth comes in and touches you in a certain way, God's son, Jesus Christ, has come as the light to bring healing to us, healing to the hurt, healing to the pain, healing to our past. Not only that, but look what Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse nine, and, and understand this. Hear the stirring that he says here. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, yes and amen, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, life, light brings hope and it brings healing and light brings life and he wants that to stir inside of you. And for some of you, it may be a dark part or it may be just you're completely saying, God, I need your light in my life. He can bring that. It can shine in your life. Look at what he says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul writes, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For some of you, more than a toy, more than a video game, more than new clothes, more than an ugly sweater, more than a fruitcake, more than a car, you know what you need this Christmas? You need freedom. You need God to stir something in your heart that will set you free and change you like never before. Listen to what he says again. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the spirit of the Lord, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory 
are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I don't know whether you're sitting in this room or in another room or watching this on a screen somewhere, but for some of you, what God wants to do in this Christmas season is transform your life by allowing the light of his son to give you hope and healing and life and to guide you, Zechariah says, in a path of peace. Probably somewhere along the lines, you've, you've heard the name Jim Lovell. He was one of the astronauts on the Apollo 13 um, spacecraft. Do you remember that, Apollo 13, see the Tom Hanks movie? Jim Lovell, before he was an astronaut, he was a Navy pilot. And in 1950, he was doing training missions off of the carrier USS Shangri-La in a Banshee jet off of uh, the Sea of Japan. And they were doing night missions, and it was, uh, I believe, Lovell's first night mission, and he took off off the carrier, and he's flying out on a very cold night in the dark on the Sea of Japan. And they were supposed to go out and do their maneuvers, and then there was a rendezvous point. Well, somewhere in the midst of this, his electronic equipment kind of malfunctioned, and instead of picking up the signal for where the rest of the team was, he, he ended up picking up a signal in Japan and finding himself someplace where he wasn't supposed to be. And so he realized that he got lost, terribly lost, and turned around to head back. And he got radio contact. And as he was heading back, the guy on the carrier said, well, you're, you're heading right towards us, but just, just stay straight because you're, you're on track for us, but just do that. So Level decides he needs to look at a map. And as he looks at the map, which kind of freaks me out just to think about that, is, I, don't, I don't get it. But as he's looking at the map, he reached up to turn on the light in his cockpit and when he did, all the electronics in his jet shorted out. He lost all light, which means all the bulbs went out, which means he couldn't see any of his instrumentation. Couldn't see a thing. There was a, there was a storm that was coming in, and so it was a cloudy night, so he couldn't see the moon, and he couldn't see the stars. All that was around him was complete darkness. As he flew this jet, not knowing where he was in the Sea of Japan. And as he was up in this plane, he realized, I don't have my instrumentation. I'm having a hard time knowing what's up and what's down. And he knew that he was dangerously close to either being lost forever or crashing along the way. When all of a sudden, as his eyes began to adjust, he looked out, and when he did, he noticed in the water what he called a faint green glow that would kind of shimmer in the water. And being a Navy pilot, he knew what that was. See, there's some algae that has like a fluorescent phosphorus uh, uh, content to it. And so what happens is when it gets stirred up, it begins to glow. And this carrier that Lovell was supposed to go back to, the engines on it, as the propellers turned, it was stirring up the algae, and so behind it, the algae would begin to glow, and as he looked out in the dark of night, he saw in the water light that would guide him back home, and the closer he got, the brighter the light got, and because he followed that light, it led him, if I can, on a path of peace that brought him back to home and safety when he was willing to follow the light. What a powerful illustration as we think about what Zechariah said. If you'll let the light of the Son of God rise in your hearts and this Christmas bring you on a path of peace. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me if you would, please. And I guess I, I just, before we wrap up, have two questions. 
The, the first is this, that maybe you're here today and you'd say, Chad, there's a, there's a, there's a part of my life and maybe it's in the dark because of choices I've made or maybe I feel like it's in the dark because of situations that I'm facing. But I just know this Christmas, God, I, I need you to shine your light on my life, to bring your hope and your healing and life to this situation. That as we've been reminded of what Christmas is, God, I need you to shine your light on me this season. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, this season. Yeah, thanks, man, hands all over. I need you to shine the light of your sun on my situation. Yeah, thanks. Maybe you're here today and, and you would say, God, I don't need just a little light, but I realize today that what I need is you. That I've been trying to make decisions and do things on my own and I realize that I can't do that anymore. And what I need today is to make you my Lord and my Savior. See, Jesus didn't come just to be a little baby, but he grew to be the perfect man. And he died on a cross for our sins. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead so that in him, his light could rise in our hearts and we could know life. And maybe today, as we've talked, you've thought what I need is forgiveness. What I need is hope. What I need is deliverance. What I need is salvation. And God, I can't find it in any other way and I look to you because you are the only source of that salvation. And if you today would say you need to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, thanks, thanks. You'd say today I need to begin or begin again personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. If you raise your hand either one of those times, would you, would you repeat this prayer with me? Or if you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, would you pray this with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, change my life. I give myself to you. May your light shine on my life with hope and healing and life from you in Jesus name amen